We're here tonight, and I want to go back and do a quick review in case you were not here last week. And it will be a very quick review um, because I won't have time to preach the rest of the message because we didn't have time to get through it all last week, and I want us to be able to pray as well. But if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, and you don't have to worry about trying to find the Scripture because I'm not going to read the whole passage that I read last week. Um, I'm going to start and just read a certain portion of it, and then we'll, we'll keep going tonight. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your, oh, you're good. <laughs> you're good, Paul. Thank you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Every once in a while somebody will ask me, what is the will of God? This is the will of God. Read it with me. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I didn't read the word argue in there, did you? I didn't read the word debate. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That was Nero, so think about that. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Father, I'm asking you tonight in the name of Jesus of the next few minutes that you will bring these passages of Scripture alive to us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Y'all pray for us. Um, I, we're leaving uh, this weekend. Uh, how many of you remember Vincent, my nephew that used to live with us? Well, quite a few of you. Vincent and Vicky are getting married this weekend, and they've asked me to do the wedding, and so on Saturday I'll be doing their wedding. Um, I'm taking Becky to a Valentine's dinner called a reception, and uh, so we're going to have a, a wonderful time together and celebrating with our family there in Georgia. So Pastor Corey will be preaching on Sunday morning. And he is going to be preaching a message that every parent and grandparent really needs to hear. So I ask you to be praying and interceding for him and uh, bring your students, bring yourselves, because he's got a good word he's going to bring to you on, on Sunday. And then Saturday night, of course, I hope that you'll be here to pray as well. Well, last week I started the message, and one of the things that I ask you is, how, is, how can we deal with the troubles, the trials, the persecutions that happen in our life in such a way that we not only give glory to God, but other people glorify God because of how we live our lives. And I told you that this particular passage, Peter is full of all kinds of advice that we would call proverbs or maxims about how to live our lives. And there's advice in here about how to live with people who abuse you and misuse you. There's advice in here about how to live with the government. There's all kinds of principles that we looked at. One of the first things we looked at, if you weren't here last week and if the outline is not filled out, our lifestyle, virtues, and faith are because of Christ. 
Our lifestyle, virtues, and faith are because of Christ. <clears throat> Anytime that I have ever left a ministry to take another ministry, one of the things that I look back with a certain measure of gratitude and thanksgiving for is that every single ministry that I've ever led, I've had the privilege of being able to cast vision and to be able to help write that vision and mission statement and see to it that the organization that I led practice that vision. Whenever I left, one of the things I told them is two things that you just cannot touch. Number one is the doctrine, the Word of God. That's what we believe. That's once and for all settled. The second thing is the vision, the mission of the organization, because if you do, then the mission falls all apart. And so those are two things that are vital. But we base all of that, for instance, our dream, our vision, our mission here at Woodland, it comes right out of the Scriptures, and it's based upon a lot of study and prayer and fasting. But our lifestyle and our virtues and our faith that we live, they're all because of Jesus. I read to you the quote last week that Martin Luther said, a single layman armed with the Scripture is to be believed above a pope or cardinal without it. So in other words, no matter whether it's a pastor, whether it's a preacher, whether it's the Pope, whether it's a, a political leader, if they're not speaking and teaching from the Scripture, not traditions, not history, but from the Word of God once and all delivered for the saints, friends, you have more power than somebody trying to tr use tradition. Tradition never changed a life, but the Word of God always will. Okay, that's an important principle to remember, building our lives upon the Word. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in His steps. And so if you were here last week, just weren't here last week, just circle that phrase, leaving you an example. Christian practice is great. We want Christian practice, but what we want to do is to be sure that we stay true to the principle there's one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. We forgive people not because we're good people or nice people. We forgive people because of what God has done in us and because the Scripture says in Colossians 3.13, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. When we talk about being loving, when we talk about being kind, why do we do that? If we don't base that in the Scripture, then the teaching of the evolutionists, the teaching of the humanists, those things always change. Right now, and, and, and I'll venture out onto some thin ice right here, <clears throat> but um, I say it unapologetically, part of my concern right now is that people are voting for Pete Buttigieg, a man that has has only led a small town in Indiana who has no national experience. He's a great speaker, but it's just a popular thing in the culture right now to be gay-friendly. And I believe that's a part of the momentum because no one wants to be seen as being unkind or hateful towards a gay man. I'm not unkind or hateful. We, I've preached messages on that before. We do believe that homosexual practice is sin, but it's not a matter of being hateful, but we need to be sure that we're not following the culture or cultural trends to support somebody. If you voted for President Barack Obama, I hope that you voted for President Obama because you believed in his vision and his dream and not because of the color of his skin. 
If somebody votes for uh, a, a white politician, I hope they vote for a white politician because they believe in his vision or dream and not because he's white. That's called racism. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we can ride cultural trends if we're not careful. So when we talk about our faith, our virtues, and our lifestyle being based in Christ, that's exactly what we're talking about. We also looked at last week that doctrine comes from the Word but you can't prove by science that a human life is worth saving. You can't prove in a test tube or in a laboratory that this life is more valuable than another life. So what gives us value is that we are created in the image of God and God says life is sacred. Does, it, does that make sense to you? If not, then things continue to change. And that's why the Word of the Lord is so central to all we believe. Number two, we looked at we are sojourners and exiles because of Christ. And those two words, sojourners and exiles, they're very important. They carry different meanings as, as to what they mean. We're traveling through, but this world is not our home. This culture is not our home. We are citizens of the United States, but our true citizenship is in heaven. And if I lived in Belgium, I might be Belgian, but my true citizenship is in heaven. If I lived in Japan, I might be Japanese, but my true citizenship as a Christian is in heaven. So we're, we're, we're sojourners, we're passing through, but we're exiles. And when you look at when you look at the current debate in our culture today, not only in the United States, but if you look at China, if you look at Europe, if you look at the Soviet Union, anywhere where there's mass migration taking place, you hear people talking about the abuse of immigrants and how some country says we have enough, somebody else has got to take them in. People blame crime and all kinds of things. I feel sorry for those people who are trying to immigrate because of persecution, because of poverty, because of famine, especially when they come up against a wall and someone says, you're not welcome here. Imagine what it would feel like for you if you were trying to bring your family to a place where you could take care of them and somebody responded to you hatefully rather than responding to you as a person created in the image of Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying that we don't need borders. I'm just saying we need to be careful that we don't mimic the hatred of the cultures that's not just unique to the United States, but it's unique around the world towards migration. I work with Chilean refugees in Argentina. We buried 100 children a day because of starvation. I took my boys down there so they could witness that firsthand. I've seen what racial prejudice can do, national prejudice can do, because Chilean skin is no different than Argentine skin. They're all Spaniard descent. And so when you see that nationalism, it does something to your psyche. And when you hear the hatred sometimes it is spewed, friends, we understand that. We should understand that better than most because as believers, the culture has often despised and misused us, and that's what the people were experiencing that Peter were writing to. Because they were Christians and because they were exiles in that culture, they were citizens of Rome. They were, if they were slaves, they were not citizens of anywhere, but they were in that culture and they were despised and misused and lied about. And Peter addresses this. If you read that whole second chapter, he addresses this and he says, remember, this is happening because you're a follower of Christ. And as a follower of Christ, you were a sojourner and an exile. Please, please, please never take for granted the wonderful God-given gift of religious freedom that we have here in the United States. Never take that for granted. Well, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise for that.
But he goes on and he says in, in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live according to the politics of heaven. And I talked about last week, there is a moment when you give your heart to Christ. You may not remember if you gave your heart to Christ as a child. I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus, January 18th, 1972. I remember committing my life to Jesus Christ and having a marvelous experience of grace and mercy in my life at Houston Avenue Assembly of God on Houston Avenue in Macon, Georgia. And that for me was a wonderful time. My wife was a child when she gave her heart to Jesus. And, and she grew up loving the Lord. And, and I'm thankful for that. That's what I, we prayed for our children as well. As you know, I serve on the missions committee. And, and when we were interviewing young missionaries at the district offices one time, this young man couldn't give us a, a date and time when he gave his heart to Christ. And I remember when the committee was talking, he, because he had lived a godly life. He'd gone through college. He really didn't have, quote, worldly experience. They were afraid to send him to China. And they said, you know, he just, he just doesn't have the experience. And, and, and he's, he's, he, we're afraid he's naive. And I finally, I, after I listened to everything, I spoke up and I said, I'm willing to submit to the wisdom of the rest of this committee. But I got to tell you, I just looked at, and uh, let's call him Jeremy. His name's not Jeremy. He's going to be our guest at some point. But I said, Jeremy is exactly what I want for my sons. And if my son was sitting here and gave the testimony of Jeremy, I would be so thrilled and I would be so happy. And I think every member of this committee would. Now, if you really believe that he's not tough enough for it, and friends, he's finishing up his fifth year in China and he has been an amazing missionary for the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? So we are sojourners, we are exiles. Uh, Stephen Carter wrote this. I read this quote to you last week. Religion is at its heart a way of denying the authority of the rest of the world. It's a way of saying to fellow human beings and to the state, those fellow human beings have erected, no, I will not accede to your will. We have a higher will that we serve, and that's the will of the Lord. And then if you look at number three, we talked about this just briefly last night, I mean last week, my body will become a good servant because of Christ. Paul, in the previous verse, talked about passions of the flesh that war against us. And we looked at verse 11. I just pulled that back out. The passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Your body is not your enemy, but our bodily desires, if they are not tempered and they are not controlled, then they become our enemy. It could be our appetite. Paul would say of some people that their God was their belly, you know, and uh, Paul would say of other people, they're driven by their sexual passions. He would say of other people that they've given up, the men have given up the natural desire for women and women have given up the natural desire for men and therefore turned to same-sex relationships. And so there are passions of the flesh that we have to war against. And so, so I can keep moving and, and finish this message tonight. That brought us to the fourth point I'd like to begin with this evening. If we will base our lifestyle, our virtues, and our faith in Christ and in His Word, then our lives will naturally become influential because of Christ. Our lives will naturally become influential because of Christ. I've shared with you before a stat that, that I found out years ago in one of my classes, and that is that the most uninfluential people among us will still influence at least five people to become just like them. 
the people with the least influence, the people that we would call the wallflowers, the people that we would say have no influence in their lifetime, they're going to influence five other people to become just like them. And when I think about the power of your influence and your smile, your lifestyle, your choices, when I look at you and I realize, Texas, the amount of influence and sway that you not only have with your family, your subdivision, when you lived in Florida and you're living here in Michigan and in Pennsylvania, you have spread your influence in so many places. Dick Krug, somebody asked me today about you in Flat Rock. I was in Flat Rock on business and someone today says, tell me about Dick Krug. How is he doing? And so I was able to tell them about the influence you've had on my life. And I said, if I got lost in the woods, I could survive because of what Dick Krug told me. And they said, could you really? I said, well, I could survive at least overnight. I don't know how much further I could go, but Dick would survive the whole winter out there. But, you know, Dick can tell you which tree you can cut down and eat in the forest. But uh, Dick is a godly man, and the influence that he's had as a, as a, as a soldier in war, as a pilot, as an engineer, as a father, as a husband. You know, I think about the influence of everyone in this room and how God uses you. I think about our corporate influence together. If you live for Jesus, your life will become influential. That was one of the reasons for the rapid growth of the church in the Roman Empire. You've got to remember on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we know that on the day of Pentecost, on three, that day, 3,000 people came. Rodney Stark says, and Rodney Stark is a historian and a sociologist, Rodney Stark says that only about 170th of the empire by AD 300 had become Christian. But that process of compounding, if I could use that word, of a believer's influence and what happened through the church, it wasn't long before the church had totally turned the Roman Empire upside down. And one of the ways they did it was by their lifestyle. They were persecuted. They were exiled for preaching the gospel. And yet, when a plague would hit a Roman city, and we've talked about this before on a Sunday morning, and I've just been able to hit it briefly on a Sunday morning, but let me give it a little more time tonight. When a plague, like the bubonic plague, or when an when a, a influenza or something would hit the city, everybody that could afford to would leave the city, and they would leave their sick family members behind. Well, the Christians at risk to their lives would stay in those cities. They would take care of the sick. And the people that survived, when they came back, they found out their relatives had become followers of Jesus Christ because of the way the Christians had loved them. Another fact that influenced the conversion of the Roman Empire to becoming, a quote, a, the Holy Roman Empire, as it would become known under Constantine, was the fact that abortion and infanticide was practiced so often that baby girls would be taken to the trash dump. Baby girls would be taken to the forest and left to die and worship to some of their gods. The early Christians would go out there and rescue those girls. History demonstrates, and I've seen this in some of the countries in Africa that I've worked with, that that Girls became so scarce because of the infanticide and because of being taken out into the woods to die. Girls became so scarce that families that had a daughter would not let them out of the house because they would be abducted or they would be raped. And so the Christians would go out and find those girls and pretty soon the church had more girls... And I had a youth ministry grow because of this. I started out with mostly girls... 
They loved Jesus, and it wasn't long before we had a lot of boys in the youth ministry. And it wasn't long before that we had the biggest youth ministry going, you know. And it, it just happened because where there were pretty girls and available girls, there were young men that started coming. But listen, the church was pretty strict. Unlike the rest of the Roman culture, the church said a young woman could not be married until she was 18 years old. She couldn't be married until she was 18. She had to be a virgin. And number three, if a young man wanted to marry a young girl in the church, he had to be a practicing Christian and had to prove it by the lifestyle that he had lived and living in accountability. Is it any wonder? Because the church's influence continues. I could go on about how the church led in the, in the research of germs and cleansing. I could go on to tell you how that it was theology that gave us science. You see, as a Christian, when you live your faith out, you become influential. Now, that brings me to one of those little things that every once in a while I kind of get aggravated about. Yes, I know we have a lot of issues going on in our nation. But friends, we've seen this in history before. The Wesley brothers, John and Charles, are credited with saving Great, Great Britain from complete and total collapse because of the drugs and because of the alcohol and because of everything else, the immorality that was going on in Great Britain, those two men believed God for revival and they preached revival and they lived revival. And Great Britain, historians say, was saved because of the revival that took place through the Wesley Brothers' ministry. I would like to submit to you this evening, history is full of times when the culture has had corrupt politicians, corrupt clergy, corrupt businesses, corrupt organizations, and on the verge of collapse, and God has sent a revival. It's one of the reasons we gather in this church on Saturday nights is to pray not only for revival for our church, but revival for our community and for the nation. And it's real easy to complain. It's much more challenging to pray. It's real easy to complain and to gripe. And I almost said a word just now I shouldn't have said. Father, forgive me for even thinking that word. It's real easy to do that than it is to live a godly life. Okay? And it's much more important. And I hope you read my blog from yesterday that I wrote. One of the other things the church did that made them influential is they said, okay, no more hanky-panky, if you'll pardon my way of putting it. Husbands had to be faithful to their wives. We'll read about that here in the book of 1 Peter a little later on. Matter of fact, Peter says to all the husbands, you need to treat your wife with the dignity and respect or your prayers aren't going to be heard. And I tell you, one of the reasons I think God answers my prayers is I love my wife and I treat her with dignity and respect. One of the reasons I treat my wife with dignity and respect is because she would kill me and tell God I died of natural causes. You know... I love Becky to pieces. I mean, we had a rare opportunity during the week for us. We got to go have dinner just for a few minutes before church tonight. And, and I, I just said, I, I'm so grateful for this time that we have together. She's back with some of the girls in the back tonight. Christian girls, the church, they, they not only, I just talked about this, they, they not only preached against abortion, but they kept the babies. Friends, I got to tell you, if we would not criticize the culture as much and pray for the culture more, and live godly lives, Jesus said our lives would be like salt which preserves and like light which brings illumination to society. Amen? Amen? So I'd really like to encourage you to think about that because if Christ controls my personality, Eugenia Price said, listen, 
If Christ controls my personality, I will leave glorious marks on the lives I touch, not because of my character, but because of His. If Christ controls my personality, I will leave glorious marks on the lives I touch, not because of my personality, or not because of my character, but because of His. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, there's a passage in the New Testament that I've always found fascinating. And that is that God is demonstrating to the heavenlies the wisdom of the church, the wisdom of God manifested through the church. When we live as passionate followers of Christ, remember we looked at Job on Sunday morning and we talked just briefly about how the sons of God became before the throne of God and how Lucifer, you know, blamed God and said that God was the reason that, uh, that God showed Job extra special favors, the reason that Job loved him. God is demonstrating to all the principalities and powers of heaven His wisdom through the people like you and I. Years ago, when I was a young pastor in Macon, Georgia, Tom Brokaw wrote a book about the greatest generation. Remember that book? And as a young preacher, after I read Brokaw's book, I was kind of excited about it. And I preached a message then to our church. And I said, what if we were known as the greatest generations of Christians that ever lived? And I think that ought to be the ambition of every generation. Not for bragging rights, but that we live passionately for the glory of God. When Becky and I sat in the office of Senator Inhofe, in the U.S. Capitol, and I could show you pictures tonight on my phone if you wanted to see it. I think some of you I have shown the pictures. And I listened to the senator as he talked with Becky and I about his faith. We talked about my ministry in Ethiopia and things he had done in Ethiopia and the granddaughter that he had adopted, that his daughter had adopted from Ethiopia. Then he took us upstairs to a room where 13 other senators gather with him to pray. And you say, well, 13 out of 100, that doesn't sound like a lot. Oh, God, give me 13% of downriver. I would be really happy about that. <laughs> Hello? Give me a tithe plus 3% of downriver. As they gather with 13 other senators every single week that they're in town, and they read the Bible and they pray together, and they just seek the face of God for the good of our nation. And every time I see a scene of the Capitol come up, I had his aide point out the window to me so I could be reminded, like I pray for you. I want to be reminded to pray for those senators because I can see the window of the room where they meet at on those famous pictures they show of the Capitol building. You're always going to find people. You're always going to find people that bring shame to the name of their company, to their church, to their family, but you're always going to find people because God will always have a people that will bring glory to the name of the Lord because they love Him more than anything else. And I want to be counted among that number. Amen? I remember Gloria Gaither saying a line when they had written a song, she and Bill had written a song, let the church be the church, let the people rejoice. 
We've settled the question. We've made our choice. And then Gloria did a little narration in that, and she says, God has always had a people. You know when she wrote that song? During the middle of Watergate. God has always had a people. And you know what? You're here tonight, and there are Christians meeting all across the nation tonight on a Wednesday evening to study the Word of the Lord like we are, because God has always had a people. Let's give him a hand of praise for that tonight. <clears throat> then I'd, I'd like to just look at the fifth point here out of this passage tonight. Accept authority without compromising your faith because of Christ. Accept authority without compromising your faith because of Christ. Now, it's really interesting to read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. I was telling Becky the other night, I said, I have read 1 Peter I don't know how many times. I've even written this message and was prepared to give it last week. But one more time, just looking over the notes and praying. Earlier this week, I saw something that just electrified me. Because I've always been fascinated by the fact that Jesus never really addressed the politicians. He just addressed the people. I've always been fascinated by that. I've always been fascinated by the fact that somebody as wicked as Nero, we're told that we're to submit for the Lord's sake, to honor the emperor. And when I read those words, I, I, you know, there have been people that have had authority in our lives through the years that I have not wanted to honor. I have not said disrespectful things about them. I thought them. I've not said those disrespectful things. You know, Psalm 73, I believe, says, if I had said the things that were in my heart, I would have hurt the people of God. So, it's been a lot of times I've kept my mouth shut about certain things, you know, about character and things like that. I address moral issues when I think they need to be addressed. And, and yet, Suddenly something just popped out at me, and if you'll just let me just do a little aside here. Paul, Peter will, Peter, one of the most controversial passages, and we'll look at this uh, week after next. One of the most controversial passages is people want to say the Bible condones slavery because Peter doesn't condemn slavery. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but since we're at this verse, masters are told to honor their slaves and to treat them with dignity. Slaves are told to honor their masters and treat them with dignity. Now, something else you need to know, the biblical slave code was much different than the slave code of the plantations in the United States and that was practiced in Great Britain and Europe. Much different. And I don't have time to get into all that. But slaves walked the streets. Doctors were slaves. If Luke was had probably, well, more than likely, Luke, the apostle Luke, was a slave because he was a physician. Physicians were slaves. And I could go on and just tell you, it's a fascinating study about slavery in the Bible, but it's not the kind of slavery we knew in the South because the slavery, the masters were to treat them with honor. And, and Peter tells them, he tells the slave, he says, if you're beaten 
what credit is to you if you're beaten because you've been, you know, you've misbehaved or you've been lazy or you've been arrogant? But he says, respect and honor your master. Master, respect and honor your slave. The same word for honor the emperor is the same word, master, honor your slave. Peter takes that. If you could think of, how many of you have a, a what do you call it, Bob? The, the hierarchy at work. A flow, flow chart. You have a flow chart at work. Peter takes a flow chart and just squashes it flat, makes it a plane. If you could imagine a flow chart being collapsed and there is a, a singular plane of water and everybody has their place, but they're all on the same plane. In other words, the authority that flows up only flows up to God because we're to treat one another with honor and respect. Nero will be judged for how he treated others, not just for rejecting Christ. Part of his punishment in hell will be because of how he treated others. Which that brings up another whole story of the degrees of punishment in hell. There are some places of hell, and this doesn't come from Dante, but this just simply comes from the scripture because of how people have treated one another. How you treat your husband, your wife, your employee, your employer, your children, your yard boy, how you treat that person is what you think of God. Why else would we be told? to love our enemies. Now think about that. Doesn't mean we always agree on things. It doesn't mean we let people walk over us. But we honor people as being created in the image of God. Peter said in the apostles, he said, sometimes there's going to be times where we have to obey God rather than men. Because no human government has the right to transcend the laws of God. Well, how do we know when to do that? Well, when a nurse says, I cannot practice abortion. I, our doctor says, I cannot practice abortion. And the hospital wants to say, well, we're going to fire you if you don't. That doctor, that nurse has every right in the scriptures then to sue to keep their job because we're guaranteed freedom of religion in this country. And one of the major corporations here, I've just met with a man and he says, pastor, he said, I asked for 15 minutes a day to go and pray, for a place to go and pray in our company. And he said, I was declined. And he says, I just want to know, do you think I have the right to take that and to, to go to uh, up the flow chart or else to go to court? Because he says, the Muslims are all given a right to go and pray on the job and they're given space to do that. And he says, I don't want to prevent them from going to pray on the job if that's what they want, but I would like to be treated with the same courtesy. And I said, absolutely, you're guaranteed that right. And unless you stand up for it, you won't ever get that right. And so the apostles, willing to be punished for that right, went and says, you know, you can tell us we've got to do this, but we cannot transgress the law of God we're not going to work on Sunday. I mean, we're not going to, to break, you know, we're going to continue to preach in the name of Jesus and heal the sick. As a young man, a company that I worked for, right out of Troy, Michigan, called Kmart. They wanted me to go to work for them. And I told them, I'd be happy to go to work for you, but I can't work on Sundays. And they said, well, you've got to work on Sunday. And so then I don't want the job. And uh, the... HR person asked me, I'll never forget it. She says, why don't you want the job? I says, I'm a Christian. I worship on Sunday and I'm going to be in church on Sunday. So I'm, I'm not going to work on Sunday. 
And she says, well, you can't have the job. And I said, okay, I'll find another job. So I left. She called me back. She says, we've changed our minds. She says, you're the only person in the entire Kresge Corporation that doesn't have to work on Sundays. How does that sound to you? I said, that sounds pretty doggone good. And so I learned how to do advertising and marketing. I did all of the ordering for their agricultural products. I, um, uh, I just, I learned so much and they were so kind to me and did so many good things. For me. The, 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 the boss became a good friend. The district manager came by one day. He says, I wanted to meet you. He says, I heard you showed the company down and you went work on Sunday. He says, tell me why you did that. So I told him and I shared with him my faith in Jesus Christ. He said, well, I just want to tell you something. He says, you've humbled me. He said, my father is a Baptist pastor in Macon, Georgia on Log Cabin Road. Do you happen to know where that is? I says, yes, it's one mile from my parents' house, Log Cabin Road is. I said, does your father pastor Log Cabin Baptist Church? He goes, yes. And so we became good friends. I just want to tell you, if you will honor the Word of God, your life will become influential. It may cost you from time to time, but your life will become influential. Look at Exodus chapter 1 and verse 17. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. You know, this is the story about how the Egyptians were trying to destroy the, uh, the Hebrew race. And because of that, there was a little boy's life named Moses. And Moses' image is up in the house of the representatives. And so whenever the president gives the State of the Union speak and he looks straight ahead, he has to look at the face of Moses. But the only reason he's looking at the face of Moses is because an unnamed midwife somewhere said, this life matters and I'm going to honor this baby's life by disobeying the word of Pharaoh. Do you see what I'm saying? It matters. Every life matters. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three years, or excuse me, three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Do you know what that says? They could have been murdered. They could have been quartered. There are all kinds of horrible things that could happen to them and their children. And the sad thing is, I don't know why Moses, but many families did suffer. Because sometimes you will be faithful to the Word of God. And in God's providence, you'll pay the price for it. And that's why the Psalms are so important to me. It's why I preach the message that I preached on Sunday morning. It's why a businessman wrote me today that doesn't go to our church. And he read my blog post yesterday. He says, thank you. I needed to hear those words of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with being raw and honest about your emotions. David was raw with his. He says, God, you have abandoned me. God, you have forsaken me. Now, we know God hadn't abandoned and forsaken it, but that's how he felt. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? Remember what I said Sunday morning? Be honest with God about your emotions. Because as he was honest about, as he spoke, you remember, pour, Jeremiah says, pour out your hearts like water. In other words, spill your guts, if you'll pardon my way of saying that. Pour out your heart. Because when you are honest with God about your feelings, then you clear all that garbage out of your pipes and you begin to see God has never left you. 
God has never forsaken you, and you know that God has got a plan for your life. Because David would always come to the point where he'd say, Rejoice, O my soul, for God will pull us through. Sometimes he would pray and he would lament, and he says, But the waters fled at your name. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Moses and the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. That's why the songs of lament are so important. But remember what I told you Sunday morning. My children at times question my judgment, but they never question my love for them. And there have been times when I've questioned the judgment of God and says, God, are you sure this is really the best way? And I get that out of my system, and I know God loves me, and He's going to pull me through. And the sweetest words that any parent has ever heard, and sometimes they're years in coming, Dad, I wish I'd have listened to you. Those are good words, aren't they? <laughs> Mom, I wish I'd listened to you. I went to my dad one time, and Mom and Becky and I went out. I said, I just need to talk to y'all. You know, our kids were just babies in, and I said, I, you know, there's so many times I wish I'd have listened instead of being stubborn. Will y'all forgive me? I am so sorry. And my dad looked at me and said, fella, that's what we expected when we had kids. I knew you were going to be a fathead sometime. <laughs> and that's just part, Right? And i got to tell you something. God knows we're going to struggle, and He loves us anyway. And don't you ever forget He loves you. I've got to wrap this up. And number six, finally tonight, my freedom comes with power, with joy, and love, and responsibility. My freedom comes with power, joy, love, and responsibility. I love being free. But freedom doesn't mean I'm free to do whatever the passions of the flesh want me to do. If I give in to the passions of the flesh, then I become a slave. I love being free. But to be free means that I get to use my freedom in responsible ways that lead to a productive life. Part of my fear, and the reason I used the example tonight, was not to cast a stone at Pete Buttigieg. That's not the purpose. Part of my fear is that when we go along with the culture, and, and Mark, you can go on up there. I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Part of my fear is, is that if we go along with something because the culture does it, then we give freedom to the culture to use their freedom irresponsibly. It is irresponsible to continue marrying and divorcing, marrying and divorcing, and then expect the next generation of children to grow up and build stable homes. It is irresponsible to think we can continue to abort our children and then grow up to have another generation that will be there to honor and to love us as we get older. It is irresponsible to think that we can take morality out of the public education system and say, well, we're good people because we're good people. And then teach at the same time in a college classroom when they're away from your influence. You know, this is all just random. This is all just chance. Your life doesn't have any meaning. And one day it's just going to end and that's it. And then expect kids whose brains are still developing whose brains won't fully develop until they're somewhere around 25 or 26 to be able to handle that kind of information responsibly. 
It's irresponsible to use our freedom to do whatever we want to do. When the day comes, when the day comes that we equate freedom with license, that's the day that our culture and our civilization will die. But never give up hope because liberty had become license in Great Britain and God raised up two men by the name of John and Charles Wesley. God raised up another man by the name of George Whitfield. Whitfield, now there was a preacher. The reason you don't talk about Whitfield more is because Whitfield didn't write anything down. Whitfield just preached. Nobody knows Whitfield much. Whitfield could preach circles around John Wesley. But the reason people remember Wesley is because he wrote things down. I hope you're leaving something for your children to look back on. A legacy of faith, a written testimony, a journal. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, remember, and I wish I had just five minutes more, but he's talking to slaves. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then, Paul, if you'll just skip to those last five things, or I'll skip the next verse. Paul basically, Peter tells us five things here. Honor everyone, love the church, fear God, respect the king, and submit to your employer. That's taking, submitting to the slave masters and bringing that into our culture today, submitting to your employer. Amen? I hope you're enjoying this book. It only gets better as we go along. Stand with me tonight and let me pray with you before you go home. Jesus, I believe you have put us to live at a pivotal time. I have listened to so many news pundits talk about the culture of America is changing. And yet, Lord, I heard this week that once again, it will be the evangelical vote that decides the direction that the church that the nation is going to follow. I pray that you'll help us to understand tonight, God, we have much more influence than what some people want us to know. But Lord, the liberty we have is to be used of you, not just to have a healthy marriage and a healthy family and a healthy church, but Lord, is to be salt and light to be influential in our community so that we have a healthy nation as well. So I ask you to help us to think upon these things and live them out in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. I love you. I'm so glad you were here tonight. Hallelujah.